All right, if you'll stand with me as we open God's Word again to the book of Acts. And this week, Pastor Chris will be preaching out of chapter 20. So our scripture reading today will be Acts chapter 20, verses 1 through 38, the entirety of the chapter. And if you're using a a Bible from the pew in front of you, you can find it starting on page 641. Again, we will read Acts chapter 20. After the uproar had ceased, Paul called the disciples to himself, embraced them, and departed to go to Macedonia. Now when he had gone over that region and encouraged them with many words, he came to Greece and stayed about three months. And when the Jews plotted against him as he was about to sail to Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. And Sopater of Berea accompanied him to Asia, also Aristarchus and Secundus of the Thessalonians, and Gaius of Derbe, and Timothy, and Tychicus of Trophimus of Asia. These men going ahead waited for us at Troas. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days joined them at Troas, where we stayed seven days. Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together. And in a window sat a certain young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep. He was overcome by sleep, and as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down, fell on him, and embracing him, said, Do not trouble yourselves, for his life is in him. Now when he had come up, had broken bread and eaten, and talked a long while, even until daybreak, he departed. And they brought the young man in alive, and they were not a little comforted. Then we went ahead to the ship and sailed to Asos, there intending to take Paul on board, for he had given orders, intending himself to go on foot. And when he met us at Asos, we took him on board and came to Mytilene. We sailed from there, and the next day came opposite Chios. The following day we arrived at Samos and stayed at Trogolium. The next day we came to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus, so that he would not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hurrying to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You know that from the first day that I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears, and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you, and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, for I do not count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. 
Also from among yourselves men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who are with me. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. Then they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he had spoke, that they would see his face no more. And they accompanied him to the ship. Let's pray. God, as we hear your word this morning, Lord, may we just be watchful and know that, Lord, when we go to sow seeds and when your people take action to move your gospel forward, Lord, that there will be those that come in opposition. God, may we just rest strong and assured on your word and on the truth within it. Lord, may we just look to it at all times. God, may we just uh, protect our doctrine. God, may we... Uh, Love each other and show your love to this world. God, just use us and change us through your word this morning. In Christ's name, amen. Well, sometimes it seems like it takes people a long time to say farewell. The classic rock band Kiss recently announced their final farewell tour, including a stop here in Kansas City. So if you're part of KISS Army, you'll be excited about that. You already know that. But you may also realize that social media began to immediately mock the idea that this was really the last farewell tour for KISS. After all, they announced their first farewell tours 18 years ago in the year 2000. Well, KISS isn't the only band whose farewell tours seem to go on forever. The likes of Ozzy Osbourne, The Who, Elton John, Cher, and The Eagles have kept cashing in on their long goodbyes. Farewell tours are not only a part of rock bands or classic rock bands, but also they're common, especially in baseball. Fox Sports describes them this way. It's understandable that people will want to see the superstars of baseball one last time during their final season in the game. It's one of the last chances to witness greatness in action, to see the players that we will be telling our grandkids about when they inquire about the legends of our times. There is the hope that in the final appearance they will do something legendary Something that we can say that we witnessed and have, have the feet ingrained in our memories. Ideally, that is what a player's final season should be like. It's a chance to celebrate the greatness of that individual to bask in their glory one last time. 
Well, you might be wondering, now, why are we talking about farewell tours here in Acts 20? Well, first of all, we're saying farewell to this series today. This is the sixth and last message in the series of Sowing Gospel Seeds. All the messages are online at wearelifebridge.com, and you can also download them at our podcast on iTunes. But more importantly, in Acts 20, Paul is doing his own farewell tour as he leaves Ephesus and wraps up his third missionary journey, which really wasn't a journey as much as it was a stopover for three years in Ephesus. But Paul's farewell tour is different from that of rock and jock stars. Instead of celebrating the fame of his own name, Paul's farewell tour celebrates the fame of Jesus' name. Instead of promoting his own glory, it's all about promoting God's glory as we sow gospel seeds to bridge the gap to all peoples. Instead of a proud celebrity basking in the applause of his fans, we have a humble servant encouraging Christ's followers to persevere until that kingdom work is done and we enter into the kingdom when the king has come. Why do I say this is Paul's farewell tour? Well, because that's what he says in this chapter. Look in your Bibles at verse 25. Look at verse 25. And now, behold, I know that all of you, among whom I went about preaching the kingdom, will no longer see my face. This is a farewell tour. In verses 37 and 38, at the end of your chapter, you see that the uh, Ephesian elders wept so greatly for these words that they would not see his face again. But why does Paul view this as his farewell tour? Well, because God has revealed to Paul, as we've already seen in this series, by the Holy Spirit, that he is is, uh, destined to go to Jerusalem and be arrested and then turned over to the Gentiles and ultimately end up in Rome. That's why Paul says, if you look in your Bibles, verses 22 through 23, that he is bound by the Spirit to be bound in Jerusalem. And then in the next chapter, chapter 21 of Acts, a New New Testament prophet by the name of Agabus uh, performs this prophetic uh, uh, illustration where he takes the belt from around Paul's waist and wraps it around his hands and his own feet, and he says, such will happen to the one who owns this belt when he goes to Jerusalem. In fact, it says this, this is what the Holy Spirit says, in this way, the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when they heard this, the church that was gathered, we all as well, as well as the local residents, began begging him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered in verse 13 of chapter 21, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready to not only be bound, but even to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we fell silent, remarking, the will of the Lord be done. Now, Paul is very sure 
that he's going to be bound in Jerusalem. What he's not so sure about is whether he's actually going to die. So this is Paul's farewell tour on how to finish well and fulfill God's mission. How to finish well and fulfill God's mission. Acts 20, 24 is perhaps one of my favorite passages in all the Bible. He says this, But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. What a great summary of this series. What a great summary of Paul's life. What a great summary of our mission as Christ followers and a church. But what's it going to take to finish well? It's going to take, according to Acts 20, watchfulness. It takes watchfulness is essential to finishing well and fulfilling God's mission. In fact, in this chapter, in verses 28 through 31, that is kind of the the heartbeat. That's the theme here of this chapter, and it's this. Be on your guard. Watch out. Stay alert. Why? Because there's going to be false teachers that come from the outside. There's going to be false teachers that rise up from within. There's going to be wolves in sheep's clothing. There is an enemy. There is the devil who wants to counter what we're doing. So watch. Keep watch is essential. Well, what does that mean, Chris? Well, what's it mean to keep gospel watch? Well, the simplest definition I can give you is this. Pay close attention to how you live and what you believe. Pay close attention to how you live and what you believe. If you're going to finish well, if you're going to fulfill, if we as a church are going to do what God wants us to do until he comes, we've got to pay close attention to how we live and what we believe. This is summed up in 1 Timothy 4.16. It's the advice that Paul gives to his disciple Timothy. I love this verse. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things. Why? For as you do this, you will ensure your salvation, and not only yours, but those that hear you. Do you realize that how we live and what we believe is critical to our salvation? It doesn't earn it. It reflects it, but it's essential. We don't get to live any way we want and expect to be saved. We don't get to believe anything we want and expect for God to recognize us as his children. And so we've got to keep gospel watch. Now, with this in mind, We're going to listen as Paul goes on a farewell tour and as he tells us to keep watch in four specific areas. Four specific areas. So let's take a look at it. And the first area is this. Paul is encouraging us this morning to persevere through suffering as we go. As we go and sow gospel seeds, we need to persevere through suffering, and Paul's encouraging us to do this. In fact, when you look at this passage, especially the first three verses, the entire passage is filled with Paul encouraging, exhorting, 
and edifying the disciples and the local church. In fact, that's all the first three verses all are about. Paul is encouraging and exhorting. Why? Because encouragement is essential to finishing well and fulfilling the mission. We all need to be encouraged. So look at your neighbor and say, I need to be encouraged. And then look at your neighbor and say, you need to be encouraged. And then say, we are going to encourage one another. Okay, we had enough of that. Let's keep going. Now, here's the idea. What is Paul encouraging the disciples about? Well, Luke doesn't tell us in in chapter 20 because he already told us in Acts 14 and he expects us to read his entire letter. And so look in your Bibles to Acts 14, 21 through 22. Acts 14, 21 through 22. What is Paul doing? All this encouraging that he's doing, what is he encouraging us about? Well, Acts 14, 21 through 22 says this. After they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples. They returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them, there's the word, to continue in the faith, perseverance, and saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. The first area to keep watch over is that we persevere through suffering as we go and sow. Now, this was Paul's pattern, and it's a great pattern. He would go through every missionary journey, winning people to Christ through evangelizing, establishing them through discipleship, multiplying them on a pattern for world missions, and then he would return and he would encourage them to persevere because we must enter the kingdom through many trials. Now, what's the point? The point is this. Suffering is a normal part of the Christian life. Suffering is a normal and unavoidable part of the Christian life. We must, through suffering, enter the kingdom. Now, we enter not because we've earned or deserved it through our suffering. We enter because the kingdom has already been given to us as a free gift through the gospel. And that's why we persevere through hard times, because we're already children of the king, and his kingdom is already our birthright, because we've already been born again to his family. Therefore, perseverance is the proof that we've been born again, and that we're focused on the coming kingdom. Now, since last week's message was on sowing with gospel perseverance, we won't dwell on this point except that I want you to realize that no sooner does Paul come out of the riot in Acts 19 than he encourages them to keep persevering. And then you see in verse 3, he hangs out for three months and boom, the Jewish leaders are plotting again. And so he has to make adjustments in his travels. And that's just, that's the normal Christian life. The cross comes before the crown, Christian. And we don't receive the glory without first persevering through the suffering. Why? We must persevere as we go. Now, here's what I want you to understand. 
Suffering is not a stop sign to quit. It's a yield sign to surrender to the Lordship of Christ and to keep on keeping on until He comes. Suffering is not a stop sign to quit. It's a yield sign to surrender to His Lordship. Encourage one another, beloved. Through many sufferings, we must enter the kingdom. Will you have setbacks sowing gospel seeds in the hearts of others? You bet you will. Will you face some financial stress in keeping your faith promise commitments? You can likely count on it. Will you find it difficult to pray for our global partners in the coming year as your own trials and suffering come on? Definitely. And will people get angry and some get offended by the gospel you share? Yes, yes, yes. That is the normal Christian life. But stay alert. Be on guard. Watch out. We will never finish well unless we persevere through suffering as we go. So that's the first thing, first area to watch out. Now, the second area is good news. We don't have to persevere alone. We get to partner with others. And so Paul wants to enlist us this morning to partner with other churches as we give. Partner with other churches as we give. We see this in verses 4 through 6. Now, this entire passage is filled with Paul encouraging local churches, exhorting local churches, equipping local church leaders, and enlisting local churches to partner together for the Great Commission. That's what 4 through 5 is all about. And on this farewell tour, Paul not wants to, uh, to warn us, not only is encouragement essential, but local churches are essential to finishing well and fulfilling God's mission. The local church is God's number one means of reaching this world for Christ. We have to remember that. We have to engage that. We have to celebrate that. Now, we see this, especially in verse 4, with these men. Now, seven guys are listed there. Who are these guys? Where do they come from? And why are they traveling with Paul to Jerusalem when Paul's going to get arrested anyway? Well, let's look at that briefly. First of all, who are these guys? These are some of Paul's most trusted co-laborers in the gospel. We've already met Aristarchus and Gaius in the riot from last week. If you've read any of Paul's letters or studied his life, you know who Timothy is. And Luke is even there because in verses 5 through 6, Luke, who wrote the book, begins to use us and we And so they picked him along the way. These are just some of the guys. These are some of his most trusted seed sowers with whom he partners in the work of the ministry. But where did they come from? Well, Paul tells us from Berea, from Thessalonica, from Derby, from Asia. Well, who are these guys? All those places are the three, or the, they're the, all the places that Paul went, or I should say some of the places that Paul went on his three missionary journeys. So really, where these guys came from is they are fruit that remains from the Gentile churches that Paul planted on the first, second, and third missionary journey. So why are they traveling with Paul? Well, they're carrying money 
collected from these Gentile churches in order to help the suffering and starving Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. And so this offering, you can read about it. uh, Paul talks about it a lot. It was one of the major feats of his ministry was the offering from the Gentile believers to the Jewish believers in Jerusalem. 1 Corinthians 16, 2 Corinthians 8 through 9, Romans 15. He talks about this offering all the time. This offering was an act of love. It was a gift of thanksgiving. It was a symbol of unity that Jew and Gentile are one in Christ. We are one body. And when part of the body hurts, the other part of the body suffers with it. And we seek to minister to one another. Now, I want you to stop and think. Many of you have already made your faith promise commitments. Many of you have begun giving. Many of you have been giving for a long time. But understand this. Your faith promise offering is the same kind of offering. It is an act of love. Jesus, you've loved me. I now love others who have not heard about you. I give. It is a gift of thanksgiving. God, I'm so thankful. I am so thankful for all you've done for me. I want to give a portion back of what you've done so that others can know you and love you and be forgiven and walk with you. It's a symbol of unity. Our faith promise giving is a symbol of unity saying, look, the gospel's not just for Americans. The gospel's not just for people like me. The gospel is for all peoples. And I want to give and show that together God's people love the lost world. Now, there's more we could say here, but let me give you two principles from this idea of partnering with other churches as we give. The first thing I want you to see is part we partner with churches that share gospel convictions. We partner with churches that share gospel convictions. You see, when you give to Faith Promise here at LifeBridge, you not only partner with other members of LifeBridge, but as a church, we partner with other gospel churches Together, our offering just multiplies and grows and makes God uses it in his supernatural power to accomplish far more than we can ask or believe. Isn't that awesome? So when you look, don't diminish or demean your offering unto the Lord. Give out of faith. Give sacrificially, but even if you look at it and say, oh, my seed is so small, understand that we partner with one another, but as a church, we partner with other like-minded churches, and that's how that offering grows and multiplies. Our goal is to partner with churches that share our gospel convictions, that gospel transformation takes place through gospel proclamation and not political action, and not merely social action. We believe that it's the gospel that changes lives. And that does meet needs, and we do meet needs because the gospel addressed the whole person, but we understand, and we've seen this in this series, it's gospel proclamation that brings gospel transformation. And so we partner with like-minded churches to do that. You're giving partners with people that you'll never meet and never know this side of heaven. Second conviction is this. Partner with leaders 
that model gospel transformation. So they had these Gentile churches that were partnering together to then partner with the Jewish church, but they were represented by godly men. Listen, these churches ministered by gospel convictions because they were led by men along with women who were models of gospel transformation. These were men of God who preached the word of God and lived by the grace of God for the glory of God. In LifeBridge, when we partner with our global partners, we examine the man or the woman because women have a vital role to play in fulfilling the mission, men and women working together, complementing and completing one another. We examine the man, we examine the message, we examine his ministry, and we examine the mission field before we partner. Why? Because we want to partner with churches that have gospel conviction led by men who have been transformed by the gospel. Now, if we're going to finish well, this is what we need to do. We need to persevere through suffering as we go. We need to partner with churches as we give. And third, Paul wants to exhort us to prioritize Christ's lordship as we live. Prioritize Christ's lordship as we live. And this is verses 7 through 12 in our chapter. Verses 7 through 12. Now, verses 7 through 12 are fascinating and a fun. I enjoyed I had fun this week studying that. And if you read through it, it's interesting. It's a church service, just your ordinary church service. Someone falls out the window, dies, raised from the dead, worship some more. You know, it's your typical church service. The preacher preached for 12 hours. Okay. Uh, now, what happens? This is another one of those strange stories in the book of Acts. Strange but true. And actually quite funny, unless you're poor Eutychus who fell out of the window and died. Now, some, mostly church members, see this as a warning against preaching too long. Now, I, that's, not, that's not a problem here at LifeBridge, so we'll move on. Others, mostly pastors, see this as a warning against falling asleep during sermons. Again, not a problem at LifeBridge, right? So, you know, so what, what, what happens? You know, what's going on here? Well, Paul very likely preached from 6 p.m. after the people got off work, 6 p.m. Sunday, this is Sunday, 6 p.m. until midnight. This young boy, who was a preteen or teen, 8 to 14 years old, fell asleep, most likely due to the room being crowded. They were on the third floor. It was full. It was hot. And it was filled with the tiny lamps that people would use to help them walk through the night. And the oils and the fumes of all. You can just imagine. I mean, it just, you know, a typical church problem. Why isn't the AC turned up, right? And... So he falls asleep and falls out the third floor window. And Paul runs down and raises him from the dead and then continues to preach until the sun comes up the next morning. Okay? So perhaps the lesson here is twofold. Don't fall asleep in church or God might strike you dead. Or don't preach long unless God gives you the power to raise the dead. Okay? I, I don't know. A lot of lessons here. 
Now, there's a lot of funny things about this passage, but Paul's trying to get a serious point across. Paul is exhorting us to keep watch by prioritizing the lordship of Christ in all areas of our lives. And the two main ways he's showing that is through participation in weekly worship and partaking of the Lord's Supper. How much of a priority is weekly worship and the Lord's Supper to the Apostle Paul? Well, it's so important that on his farewell tour, he makes it a priority to participate in weekly worship with the people of Troas and to partake of the Lord's Supper with them. Now, if you're familiar here and if you're a guest, we have an annual celebration, World Outreach Celebration. This has been our theme. And, and we always climax that time on Sunday night by taking the Lord's Supper with our fellow global partners. And the reason we do that, here, here's, the, here's a reason to do that. Paul, on his farewell tour, couldn't think of anything greater to do than to worship with the local body and then partake of the Lord's Supper together. It is a wonderful time. If you haven't made it, you need to make it a priority next week or next year because this is a part of what we do. And it shows who is Lord of the mission, who is the Lord of our lives. So in light of this, I want to give you three worship priorities, okay? So let me give you three practical things that come out of this. And the first is this. Jesus is Lord of all, so seek him first, even when you're overwhelmed and overworked. Jesus is Lord of all, so seek him first, even when you're overwhelmed and overworked. Look at verse 7. All this is built off of verse 7. The rest is an illustration of it. Look at verse 7. On the first day of the week. This is the earliest uncontested example of Christians gathering on what is now the Lord's Day, Sunday, the first day of the week. What made Sunday so special? It was the day Jesus rose from the dead and proved that he was what? Lord of all. See, we get all messed up with Easter and we think, well, Easter is when Jesus is Lord. The point is he rose. Yes, the point is he rose, but in rising, he ascended and seated at the right hand. Jesus is Lord of all. He's not the Lord of one day a year and he's not Lord of one day a week. He is Lord of every day, of every moment, of every hour, of every second, of every nanosecond. And he's not just Lord in this area or that area. He's the Lord of all. He's the Lord of politics. He's the Lord of Washington. He's the Lord of the future. We don't know, but he does. He's the Lord of our past. And he knows it better than even you do. He is the Lord of the present and the struggle and the fear and the anxiety that you may be facing at this moment that is overwhelming you and wearing you out. And yet you are here. And Paul would say to you, well done. You have prioritized that which is so important. 
to demonstrate the lordship of Jesus Christ. And so realize that Jesus is the Lord of Sunday. His resurrection reset the calendar, and it should reset the schedule of our lives. There's no activity, no relationship, and no job that is off limits. He is Lord of all. At least he should be. Now, these people had worked hard all day, and they were now making it a priority to worship together on the Lord's Day Sunday. Paul was weary from traveling. You ever did much traveling? Traveling wears you out. And when you're persecuted as you travel, you're really worn out. And yet, he made it a priority. Now, the average church attender now thinks, and these stats are proven, coming to worship once or twice a month is being a regular attender. Now, think through this. Once or twice a month, I am a regular attender. Increasingly, organized sports are conflicting with Sunday worship. Now, what does all this have to do with sowing gospel seeds? Well, let me give you five things. Listen, when the lordship of Jesus and the worship of Jesus with his people is not the number one priority of our lives, here's five things that you're going to experience. Number one, then you are constantly feeling like you're missing out or trying to catch up. You know, if, if, if you just come once a month, you're like, what? What happened? You know, what, what, what's going on? And, 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 and you just, you're, you're, you're constantly missing out and catching up. Secondly, if you don't use online giving, then your financial gift to getting the gospel to the unreached becomes inconsistent because it becomes once or twice a month. Three, you are less likely to invite others to church if you yourself are not making it a priority in your own life. Four, you are less likely to persevere in sharing the gospel when you're scattered out in the world if you're not making it a priority to gather with his people on Sunday. Five, you are less likely to finish well and fulfill the Great Commission for your life. So Paul says, keep watch, stay alert, and stick together. And that's the second principle I want to give you, is to not only... Uh, uh, recognize his lordship, but Jesus has risen, so stick together even in the face of daily obstacles and deadly opposition. Stick together. What do I mean by that? Look at verse 7 again. On the first day of the week, there's the priority, when we were gathered together to break bread. Now here's one of, listen, here's one of the overlooked lessons in the Eutychus thing. We all get caught up with Eutychus and preaching long and falling asleep, and we miss that gathering together for early Christians was a dangerous venture. And it would only get more dangerous. And I would say to you, we're at a state where it's not dangerous, but it's going to become dangerous. And so the raising of Eutychus in the middle of this service is to remind us that even when we're facing difficult obstacles, or even deadly opposition, we worship the Lord of life. Hey, what's the, what's the worst you can do to me? I'm a Christian. What's the worst you can do to me? Kill me? Absent from the body is what? Presence to the Lord, right? Paul says, throw me in jail. I turn it into a church service anyway. You see, this is what's going on here. Listen, listen. We worship the one who has conquered death. He has conquered all obstacles. 
brother and sister, he can get you and rise, he can raise you out of bed to get here on Sunday. And he can overcome job schedules. He can overcome difficult spouses. He can overcome unbelieving. He can get you where you need to be because he's the risen Lord of all. Amen? Isn't that good news? Eutychus dead? No problem. Jesus is here. And Paul goes down and raises him from the dead. Listen, listen, listen. Will it cost you something to make worshiping together as a church family a priority? Yeah, it's going to cost you. But whatever the cost, Jesus is risen, and he will reward with so much more in the life to come. So basically what weekly worship is, it's kind of putting your... It's First of all, Sunday's the first day of the week, not Monday. For the believer... Today is the first day of the week. So you're starting your week out with Jesus as Lord of all. And it's a once a week reminder to you and to the neighbors. I know they're all sleeping. They don't see you driving. But the reality is this. As you talk with your coworkers, as you talk with your family, as you talk with your, your neighbors, you are communicating Jesus as Lord of all. Sunday, I have a date with him and his people. And that's what I do. Third, Jesus is speaking, so stay alert even when you're waiting and growing weary in well-doing. Jesus is speaking. Notice in verse 7, it says, On the first day of the week, so we make it a priority, when we gather together to break bread, we stick together. Paul began talking to them. He prolonged his message until midnight, and he talked with them a long while until daybreak. I'm not kidding you. This is a 12-hour lesson with a little meal in between, okay? And uh, these people had worked all day, but they were hungry for the Word of God because it wasn't Paul. It was God who was speaking. Now, now I know what some of you are thinking. You're like, well, if Paul was here, I'd be paying attention, but we got you. Okay, I get that. I get that. But be careful. Watch out. The same Word of God is being preached here that was preached there. The same Spirit of God is at work in our midst right now that was worked then. The same Son of God is being proclaimed that was proclaimed there. The same Father God is speaking to us right now through His Word. So wake up. Watch out. Stay alert. Young people, old people, middle people, it doesn't matter Listen, for God is speaking. And show it by prioritizing weekly worship through the declaration of the Word and the drama of the Lord's Supper. Well, if we're going to finish well, we have one last area to keep watch, and it kind of covers all areas, and it's this. Paul equips us to practice to practice gospel watchfulness as we sow. Now, Verses 12 through 28 is really the heart of this chapter. It deserves two or three messages or a good 12-hour sermon, uh, as Paul would do it. But the chiefs are playing, so we must move on. But here's what he tells us. He's headed, he wants to stop in Ephesus, but he's in a hurry to get to Jerusalem. And so he knows if he stops in Ephesus, he won't make it to Jerusalem on time. And so he sends 
for the leaders, the pastors, the elders, the overseers of the church of Ephesus to meet him in Miletus. Why does he do that? Because watchful shepherds are essential to fulfill the mission and to finish well. Listen, it's not only being part of a local church. It's being shepherded by the pastors of that church and respecting and following and listening and partnering with those leaders. And that's how you're going to finish well. And that's how you're going to fulfill the mission. Now, I can't go into these. Um, We'll come back to this sometime. We will come back because it's so rich. It is so rich. But let me give you three areas to watch. First of all, keep watch over your life. Keep watch over your life. Paul says, be a godly disciple, be a giving disciple, be a growing disciple. Watch your life, beloved. Because immorality and other sins, greed, gluttony, gossip, will blow up a marriage, they'll blow up a family, they'll blow up a church, they blow up pastors, they blow up missionaries, they blow up seminary professors. It blows up the mission. And so I want to say to you, listen, there is still hope. I don't know where everybody is, but God knows, and he's speaking. And if you've got a if you if you're struggling, if you've got a secret sin, if you've got a porn habit, if you've got a, if 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 you're struggling and God wants you to do something and you keep saying no, no, and then you're tightening your fist and then you're shaking your fist, if that's you today, I want you to know there's hope for you in the gospel. There's hope for you in the gospel. Your not life is not over as long as you're breathing. And as long, and you're here today, so come clean. Repent of that sin, confess it, be forgiven, and begin to rebuild your life by the word of God's grace. I love in this passage, it's the word of God's grace. Forgiving you of sin, but setting you free from that bondage. Don't leave here this morning in bondage to sin any longer. Jesus can set you free. Second, keep watch over your doctrine. Doctrine's huge in this chapter. Keep watch over your doctrine. And if we would take time through this, you'd see that we need to be gospel-centered in our doctrine. We need to be Bible-saturated, the whole counsel of God. We need to be truth-defending in our doctrine. We need also to be people-loving in our doctrine. As Paul addresses the Ephesian elders... He begins with tears, he ends with tears, and in between, there are tears. Paul loved people and humbled himself before them to reach them, to love them, to weep over them, and to plead with them to be saved. But Paul never shrinked back. Twice in this passage, he says, I did not shrink back from telling you what you had to hear and needed to hear. I did not shrink back from teaching you the whole counsel of God. You see, I want you to hear this as we close. Paul loved people too much to stop warning them 
of the reality of eternal hell. Paul loved people too much to stop teaching the whole counsel of God. Paul's warning us not to unhitch from the Old Testament, not to unhitch from the New Testament, not to unhitch from the Bible. Paul loved people too much to stop preaching Jesus as the only way to salvation. Paul loved people too much to stop emphasizing that God is both holy and loving. Paul loved people too much to stop reaching and pleading with all people to repent and place their faith in Jesus for salvation. For it is by Christ alone, through grace alone, by faith alone, for the glory of God alone, that anyone is saved. So listen to me, listen to me this morning. Don't drift, don't diminish, don't depart the sound doctrine of the Bible. Listen to me. Missions is worthless if there is no eternal hell. Missions is meaningless if Jesus is not the only way. Missions is powerless if the whole Bible is not the Word of God. Missions is useless if God is not both holy and loving. And missions is fruitless if we don't invite people to repent and place their faith in Jesus. And if you're here today, you will not be saved. If you do not repent and place your faith, and you will join all of us at the foot of the cross, for we all are sinners, and none of us are saved by going to church or being good. It's because we've repented. And so, thirdly, keep watch over your pride. Keep watch over your pride. You see, you can say, well, hey, my life's pretty good, and my doctrine's good, and and I'm good. Keep watch over your pride. Paul starts this farewell speech in verse 19. He starts with expressing his humility. We often joke that if you say you're humble, you're not. Make sense? Okay, hey, I'm humble. If you're humble, if you say you're humble, you're not. Well, Paul's not joking here. Paul is not being prideful here. He's confessing his deep awareness of his own weakness, of his own inability, of his own powerlessness and helplessness to do any of this apart from the grace of God. So if you're here this morning saying, wow, I'm overwhelmed, fulfill the ministry, finish, uh, uh, finish, uh, you know, finish well and prioritize Jesus and let Jesus, if you're overwhelmed by that, excellent, you're in a great place. If you feel like this is impossible, you are correct. Paul would say, I didn't do it. I couldn't do it. It's the grace of God. So let me ask you, are you humbly keeping watch over your life and doctrine as you go and so? Are you humbly keeping watch? And you say, Chris, I, I just don't measure up. I can't do it. I'm too weak. I'm too powerless. Wonderful. Because God's grace in Christ Jesus is more than able to save us to sanctify us, and to secure us until his kingdom come. And so this message, or actually Paul's message, and this message, I want to end the way Paul did. Paul ended in verse 32 by commending and releasing the people of God to the grace of God that can build them up. Isn't that beautiful? God's grace can build you up. And now I commend you 
to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified, saved, sanctified, and secure. Keep sowing, keep sowing, keep sowing. And then they pray. So let us pray. Father, we come before you, and like Paul, we're deeply aware of our faults, of our sins, of our propensities, and of our temptations. But Lord, we confess that all to you. And if we don't have a relationship with you, then I pray, Lord, that those who don't have a relationship with you would turn from human strategies and trust in self and just forsake their sin and flee to you and your righteousness right now, right now in this moment. Lord, I turn from all self-trust, all sinful reliance, and I turn to trust totally in you. And for the believers here who have already made that transition, they've already made that trust commitment, Lord, I pray that we would remain humble, confessing our weakness, Lord, confessing our powerlessness, confessing our helplessness. And Lord, we would embrace the grace of your word, the grace of your lordship, the grace of your spirit indwelling in us, the grace of a body of believers to encourage us. And Father, I pray that we will finish well and we will fulfill the mission that you have given us individually, but as life bridge, that we will not quit when opposition comes. So I pray now as we respond, Lord, here's our opportunity. I pray that as we respond, your spirit would move among us and you would change and transform. Plant the seed deep in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Let's respond to him as they play.